Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. Welcome to our Catechism class. In this lesson, we are going to be reading and studying Lord's Day 5 in the Heidelberg Catechism, question 12 to question 15. In our Catechism classes so far, We've been looking at the basic biblical teaching about mankind, and we've learned that we are sinners because we have broken God's law. We've learned that we were not always like that. We were created in God's image, and that the image of God was shattered and distorted at the fall of man in the book of Genesis. One day, we will have to give account of ourselves in judgment. We have been discovering that the solution is always Jesus that he is sinless and perfectly fulfilled the law of God, and yet he gave himself for us to pay the price for our sin in his own body on the cross. In our last study, we thought about the last judgment and the excuses some people think they might make on that day, and we learned that it will all be to no avail. And now the Bible poses a question, one that we will consider in this lesson. It's found in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape? if we neglect so great salvation. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. wonder have you ever watched the film The Great Escape. It depicts a true incident on March 24, 1944, when a total of 220 British and Commonwealth officers were poised to escape by tunnel from the main camp for Allied aircrew prisoners of war at Sagan in Nazi-occupied Poland. Despite being meticulously planned by the committee known as the Axe Organisation, the escape was a far messier affair than what we have previously been led to believe. Events unfolded in chaos, with numerous hold-ups and tunnel collapses. Some people pushed their way into the line, others fled their post altogether. What were they trying to escape from? They were trying to escape from the living death of the concentration camp, the cruelty and oppression of the guards, the certain death through malnutrition and disease. Is it any wonder that they wanted to escape? It's not a true analogy, for those prisoners in that camp didn't deserve to be there. And when we stand before God in our sins, we will deserve his justice and we will deserve his wrath. But the illustration is not to show what we deserve. In contrast to those prisoners, those airmen, we cannot escape by our own efforts. But what about the unimaginable horror of an eternity enduring the fires of hell? What about existing under the dreadful crushing weight 
of the condemnation of the broken law? Is there a way of escape? Surely there must be. For the Hebrew author says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We need to escape from something. How shall we escape? We need to escape from the eternal consequences of our sin. We need to escape from the logical outcome of divine justice, for we're under condemnation of the law. And so our instructor in the Catechism, in question 12, asked this question. Since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favour? The answer we must give is that God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment, either by ourselves or through another. So we get what we deserve. In the book of Exodus, chapter 23 and verse 7, we read, Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. That's called justice, and it's the right thing to do. We all want justice. We want justice for murderers and we want justice for child molesters. We want justice for pedophiles and torturers. We want justice for terrorists. We demand it. Yet what about when our own works condemn us? We then expect that God will completely overlook our rebellious and godly lives. A sorrowful woman was arranging the funeral for her late father and she had met with me to compose a suitable tribute. She told me that he was a fine, upstanding citizen, that he had no crime or debt to mar his good character. She told me that he had been an excellent husband and parent, that he provided well for his family and loved them very deeply indeed. At work he'd been a model worker, a real credit to his profession. And in conclusion of this eulogy of his good points, She sighed, I just hope he gets what he deserves. Yes, he will, but sadly it may not be what she thinks it is, for all of our good works fall far short of God's standards, and the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sadly, too, we often spurn God's pardon when it is offered, and we cannot hope for any further leniency from God or presume on his kindness. Paul warns us sternly in Romans chapter 2 and verse 45, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God offers us pardon in Christ. He is good to us. He forbears with us. He is patient with us. But the object of that forbearance and patience is to give us time while we are on this earth to repent. But if we refuse to repent, then we're simply storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Now, this is intensely personal. We're not talking here in the abstract. We're talking about our own living souls having run out of the opportunity to avail of the loving kindness and the mercy of God for ever and ever. 
We're talking about us, about my loved ones, about our friends and our neighbours, our families, our fellow workers. This is a question that is personal to each one of them. How shall I escape? If I neglect the way of salvation that God in his mercy has provided for me. What about trying some DIY restorative justice? What about trying to clean up my life? Some people make their own efforts to escape God's judgment. All of those efforts are futile and all will fail. Some will say, I'll pay the fine myself. Question 13 in the Catechism asks, can we by ourselves make this payment? And the answer there is certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. The psalmist in Psalm 130 in verse 3 said, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Perhaps there's a bailsman who could offer a surety for me, like in the legal system, where if someone is charged with a crime, a friend who has money can put down a bond and assure the freedom of the person charged. So question 14 asks, can any mere creature pay for us? And the answer again is no. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. The catechist here is thinking of the Old Testament sacrificial system, where symbolically the sins of the sinner were placed upon the scapegoat and driven away. But we try to do this claiming perhaps that I was born into a Christian home or into a Christian country, Surely that means something. Surely I can call on my parents' faith and service to God to plead for me, we might argue. And while Christian parents and a Christian home and Christian upbringing is a great blessing, a place of Christian love and instruction and influence, it is the soul that sins that dies. Or what about the merits of the saints, the Blessed Virgin Mary? Can't we call on the treasury of merit that all the great saints and martyrs have built up. And what of Mary, the mother of Jesus? Won't she plead for us before God? The Catechist says no. No mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. And what about the Old Testament 
sacrificial system. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. That's bad news. There is no one, either myself or anyone else, who can help me on Judgment Day. God will judge us according to the works that were done in this life. And as we see in Romans 2, our works will condemn us. But here's the good news. A method of escape has been put in place for us. The Hebrew author talks about great salvation. Let's go back to that concentration camp for a moment. Those prisoners of war were able to plan their own escape. They were able to dig their own tunnel. They were able to crawl along it on their hands and feet, and on reaching the outside, some of them were able to run for their lives and get away. And they did it all themselves. There was no rescue mission. There was no special unit that came to their aid. Now that's a great contrast when we think about us. Because as sinners, we are unable to do anything to escape. We're totally imprisoned with no hope of organising or initiating any action of our own. We need someone to come and to rescue us. Who would ever be suitable? Who would have the strength and the ability to save us? Who would be willing to come and save sinful wretches like us? In question 15, our instructor asks, what kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? The answer is one who is a true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. The Bible calls such a person a mediator. Who will be our mediator? We need a real man. One of us has to do it. Not a robot or a demigod, not a superhero, a human being like us. God has already sent that rescuer in the person of Jesus, his only Son. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Consider that very carefully. For God sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What a strange expression. Yet it perfectly expresses the nature of Christ who was truly God and truly man, who was one of us, a perfect man, and yet also a righteous man, a man without sin, a man who perfectly fulfilled the law of God for us, a man who kept all the commandments that we could never keep. So in his death was able to pay the price for all of our sins.
hymn writer says, But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. That's because he was a ruling man, a man who has the power and the strength and the authority to take all of our sins because this man is God, our rescuer is Jesus. Only he was willing and ready and able to save and only he has come for our rescue. Now because this question is so personal and so vital, because we must escape and because a way of escape has been provided for us, our response to that is also personal and vital. Our response is to repent of our sins, to rest in Christ's finished work on the cross and to trust him with all of our heart. <laughs> 